As I'm sure you know, there are four Gospels, four Gospels that were considered authentic enough to make the final cut for inclusion in our Bible. Since we just heard this morning from the beginning of John's Gospel, I thought it might be instructive to briefly describe the start of all four Gospels. So you can see how each one reveals the perspective and personality of their respective narrators. Doesn't that sound like fun? Christmas Day fun? Okay. Mark is breathless, wastes no words, wants to tell the story and get out. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Okay, it's good news about Jesus and he's God's Son. Done. Next, he jumps into the story of John the Baptist meeting Jesus and Jesus then starting his ministry. No birth stories, no wanderings in the mystical, just the facts, ma'am. Matthew begins with a genealogy of Jesus starting from Abraham, the patriarch of the Jews, and wending through David and into the Babylonian exile, then on to Jesus. He does this because he wants to establish, Matthew does, from the start, that Jesus is part of the Jewish story. And actually, the continuation and the culmination of that spiritual history. Matthew is the guy who peppers his narrative with the phrase, This was done to fulfill what was said by the prophet, to create that link with the Old Testament. Luke is all about relationships, miracles, and second chances. First, Zechariah and Elizabeth are visited by an angel who tells them they will have a son in their old age, John the Baptist. Then, the angel Gabriel visits Mary to ask her to bear Jesus. Then Mary visits Elizabeth and they marvel at how they can both be pregnant when one is old and the other a virgin. Then the shepherds are visited by angels who proclaim the birth of Jesus. Lots of divine interaction and wonder. And then today, we come to John. And I gotta say, John was definitely the one who smoked pot in college. <laughs> From the start, his language is poetic, almost psychedelic. He doesn't stop at Mark's, he was the son of God, or at Matthew's, he was the end point of Jewish spiritual history, or at Luke's, he brought the divine and the worldly into relationship. No, John goes for broke. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This Word, this cosmic presence at work since before time, is the Jesus we know in human form. Mystical, supernatural, and the source of all life. In John, Jesus is all-powerful, and he's got it all under control. Even from the cross, he finds time for a conversation with his mother and John, his disciple. <clears throat> the gospel according to John really is beautiful. But for me, it is the hardest Jesus to relate to, because frankly, I don't have it all together or under control. I imagine the same is true for many or most or all of you. 
The Jesus we encounter in John's gospel is always sure of himself. Even when he goes to raise Lazarus from the dead, he speaks to God in a loud voice and says, I know you always hear my prayers, but I'm saying this out loud for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. Really self-assured. Hard to warm up to. More divine than human in this telling, in my opinion. How do we wrap our arms around such a God? Well, I think I found one answer this past Sunday in a reading that we studied for our Advent class. Austin Farrer, a 20th century English theologian and biblical scholar, suggests that the reason we can't get behind an all-powerful, omnipotent God is not because such a being seems too remote or cold to love. Rather, it's because we have so misused human power that we've grown to hate the very concept of power itself. For us, it means oppression, judgment, violence, and inequality. But God is none of that. Farrer writes, We have so mishandled the scepter of God which we have usurped. We have played providence so tyrannically to one another that we are made incapable of loving the government of God himself or feeling the caress of an almighty kindness. Has not he given us one another and the world to delight us and kindled our eyes with a divine intelligence? Yet all his dear and infinite kindness is lost behind that mask of power. Overwhelmed by omnipotence, we miss the heart of love. In other words, God is all-powerful, but what powers God is love. Not the hatred and violence we align with power, but tenderness and compassion. That's why God chose to come down to us as a helpless infant, to elicit our love rather than scare us into submission. Farrer goes on to say, Mary holds her finger out and a divine hand closes on it. The maker of the world is born a begging child. We will not lift our hands to pull the love of God down to us, but he lifts his hands to pull human compassion down upon his cradle. So the weakness of God proves stronger than men. Love is the strongest instrument of omnipotence. God is infinite yet intimate. And while we don't get all that in John's gospel, we do get a clear vision of this all-powerful yet all-loving God when we blend all four gospel narratives into one divine portrait. The gospel according to John is one crucial component of our faith. So I found an image of God's love on Facebook, of all places. A friend of mine in Long Beach has been in and out of hospitals for weeks with an illness they may finally have treated as of yesterday. He posted this story on his Facebook page. When I was at outpatient today at Kaiser South Bay and I was waiting impatiently in my cubicle for the CT scan, 
I heard the sobbing voice of a five-year-old boy from the next cubicle. But Daddy, if I'm in the hospital, how will Santa find me on Christmas? A sobbing male voice struggled to say, I'll text him your room number right now, sweetheart. He'll find you, I promise. My friend went on to write, Always count your blessings. There is always someone worse off than you. That dad in the story is how I sometimes picture God, comforting us, worrying with us, crying with us, and texting Santa so he knows where to find us and lavish us with gifts of love. Lately, I've seen another image of God's love on my windshield of all places. A few weeks ago, I was in the car with William, my better half, who frankly is the closest thing to God's unconditional love I have ever experienced. It was cold and rainy, and the windows were fogged up and we were parked, so I took the opportunity, as one does, to write on the windshield in front of me, Wim, his nickname, Hearts, Rico, my nickname, Hearts, Wim. What I didn't realize then was that those letters would show up every time it was cold or rainy outside. <laughs> and I was driving on those risky roads right in front of me while I'm driving. Whim hearts, Rico hearts, whim. The first time they materialized, I chuckled to myself. But then, in these past few days, I have taken them as reminders of God's abiding presence in my husband, and by extension, in the people all around me. So now when I look out through those letters and hearts while driving, I give thanks for all the blessings of my life. And I remember to turn on the defroster so I can see again. <laughs> that story I invite you to translate into your own life. What is written right in front of you that you don't always see unless it's cold or rainy or you're struggling. And may it always be there when you need it, and may that message always and often find you even when it's warm and hot outside. Last night a parishioner asked me, why did the angels appear to the shepherds? They were out in the middle of nowhere. Why did not they just float over Bethlehem itself and tell the townspeople about Jesus? Another parishioner answered for me and stole my thunder <laughs> because they were the lowest of the low in their society. Yes, I jumped in. The angels appeared to the shepherds and to the three kings to reveal God's all-inclusive salvation and love. Nobody is left out. And class distinction, wealth, and status are all irrelevant. That is another message we need to be reminded of in our day and age, and in our country, and in our hearts. I tell you these stories on Christmas Day as reminders that you too are surrounded by God's love. You too are precious in God's sight. And you are invited on this day and every day to see how precious everyone around you is too. Frederick Beekner, the American writer and theologian, once wrote, 
What keeps the wild hope of Christmas alive year after year in a world notorious for dashing all hopes is the haunting dream that the child who was born that day may yet be born again, even in us. That is my wish for you on this Christmas day and every day in the years to come. Merry Christmas.